company's enduring strength is fueled by relationships. It's now 70 years that we've been producing a world-class product, and we also have one of the most celebrated sales programs in the industry. But I truly believe it's the tight, rock-solid bonds that have been forged across all levels of our company, from our salespeople, to our field managers, to our executives, and to our ownership group. I believe right there is a clear window into the power of the organization. Leadership has been described as a giant door that's built with several key qualities. The ability to influence, having wisdom, and visionary thinking, to name a few. But that same door swings on the small hinges of character. And those hinges can be fragile. That's why it's critical that leadership positions in any company are filled by men and women of exceptional character. People who are all in on protecting the core values of strong ethics, honesty in dealing with people, treating everyone with respect, and making a full commitment to the success of each member of their team. Bruce Goodman is the quintessential example of a man of exceptional character. His leadership as CEO and president of Vector West has been instrumental in building the Cutco Vector sales organization into a world-class developer of talented leaders. I'm proud to count him as my number one lifetime role model, and I'm honored to introduce to you all today this great leader of leaders. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome, everyone. This has been the most anticipated podcast conversation uh, since the beginning of this podcast, as my special guest today is my number one lifetime role model, Mr. Bruce Goodman. Bruce is the president of Vector West, CEO of Vector Sales. Uh, He's been with the company since 1979, while he was a college student at Vanderbilt University, where he graduated with a degree in English. Bruce became a district manager with the company after graduation, and ultimately, he was tapped to be the right-hand man to Mr. Don Mulrath, who was the former president of Vector West, and Bruce got to work side-by-side with Don for a number of years uh, before being promoted into a role as a regional executive. It was called Zone Coordinator back then. The year was 1990. Bruce took over the smallest organization in all of Vector and built it into a national champion. He became executive vice president in the year 2000 and part of the company's board of directors. And in 2002, Bruce became the president of Vector West 
and has since been on a 17-year journey leading and guiding the organization along with his teammate in Vector East, Mr. Al DeLeonardo. Uh, Bruce has been married since 1997. He has three kids. He is truly known as a leader of leaders, and I'm really excited to have him as a guest today. So, Bruce, thanks so much for making time for the podcast. Thank you, Dan. I'm excited about this. And if I may, if I can from the top, I really want to begin by complimenting you on this forum that you've provided for everybody. You shared your vision with me for this several months ago, and I had very high expectations given that it was coming from you, but it has been, um, they've been exceeded and it's just been tremendous. You're making a, such an important contribution. And, and I just want to say congratulations. And my goal is not to derail all your fine work here today. <laughs> awesome. Well, it's fantastic to have you as a guest today. And I'm definitely looking forward to having this conversation and being able to have your story shared with the Vector and Cutco audience. In fact, you know, your introduction at any Cutco event typically starts with, you know, that you started in 1979 or something even after that. And it would be great, I think, for people to hear a little bit about your background from before you started with Cutco. So why don't we tee off with that? Okay, sounds good. Well, I was, I'm was i a Bay Area kid. I was born and raised in the Bay Area. I'm the oldest of three brothers. And my dad has been a, uh, was a department store retail executive throughout my youth. My mom was involved in state and county politics as a special aide uh, in Marin County and, and within the state of California. And uh, my life was basically just as a sports nut. Just kind of grew up playing sports and in uh, you know baseball and basketball and tennis and some pretty bad golf that still exists today. Uh, that's what I did as a kid, and I was in the Bay Area in, in Marin County until I was 16 years old. At which time, my dad, when I was a junior in high school, received a promotion to run a division of Macy's down in Atlanta, Georgia. So halfway through my junior year, we picked up roots and. Moved to Atlanta, where I ended up finishing high school, got a bit of a, an indoctrination into the Deep South, which I thought was really, uh, really cool. And it was there that uh, I became familiar with all the colleges and ended up going to uh, college down there at Vanderbilt in, in Nashville, Tennessee. As you mentioned, I was an English lit major. I was in the Sigma Chi fraternity, had a couple summer jobs prior to selling knives. I, I laid carpet one year, uh, right before my freshman year in, uh, throughout Atlanta. My second summer, this has been, been after my uh, freshman year of college, I had a, a, a very interesting job selling gutter guards door-to-door with my friend from Vanderbilt. Uh, if you don't know what a gutter guard is, it's basically a, a, a mesh netting that goes over the gutters of homes and protects homes. And our job all summer long, it was our own business, was to knock on doors, sell the gutter guard, hopefully, and then either that evening or uh, the next morning, get up on top of the roofs and install these gutter guards, clip them on to very large suburban Atlanta homes. And that's where I got a little bit of a taste of what sales were like. So I did that. And then at some point in the middle of my sophomore year, My dad got another promotion, and he and my mom decided to move back to the Bay Area. So after my sophomore year at Vanderbilt was was over, I came home, fresh out of money, 
needing to make a lot of money and pulling out the local newspaper to find out what was available. Awesome. So uh, it was in between then your sophomore year and your junior year at Vanderbilt that you started selling Cutco. And uh, how, did, how did you hear about the company? So back in the day when people would commonly look at physical newspapers, the local newspaper was the Marin Independent Journal, the IJ. I pulled out the newspaper and as we did back in those days, just circled all the ads that I thought were appealing. And one in particular looked really appealing. I thought it might be too good to be true, but I thought I would circle it anyway. And the, the too good to be true element of it was that it was $180 per week full-time, $90 per week part-time. <laughs> that seemed like it just couldn't be so. But I circled it and I made the call and uh, went down to, as many of us do in Vector, I went down to a, a group interview in San Rafael and was uh, very impressed by everything I saw and accepted the position. And that was the beginning. That's how I heard about it. Fantastic. So tell us about some of the memorable experiences from the early part of your career. You know, I, I would sum up the beginning of my career as more or less accelerated self-discovery. That's what it was like. Mm. I learned, for example, that I really thought it was fun to sell. Now, remember, I just told you a moment ago that I, the previous summer, I'd sold gutter guards door to door. That, for reasons that, well, probably many reasons, was not particularly exciting. Uh, they were difficult to sell. Uh, there wasn't much of a demo, if you can picture what that was like. So it turned out that I really liked to sell. I discovered that. I thought it was excellent to have a product with very unique features that was sort of a, a, a wow-type product. And those of us that sell Cutco know what that is like. I would say beyond that, I also really in, grew accustomed to this idea of, of not being tied to four walls of a building for employment. I mean, that was pretty liberating back then. And the fact that I could make money without having to punch in and punch out of an office, I, I just really liked that. So that was the beginning. And I was very fortunate, Dan. I was assigned a trainer, a field trainer, who was a college All-American back in the day. His name was Brian Johnson. And in those days, Alcoa, wherever, would give you a corduroy jacket that signified you were an All-American. Reminds me a little bit of golfers who received the green jacket at the Masters. And this was a a beige jacket with a patch in the insignia that said he was an All-American. And this individual was fascinating to me. He was incredibly disciplined. He was a very sort of tunnel vision type guy who followed the program by the book. He was able to pick himself up after a difficult demo or a challenging day. I would say he wasn't even a natural as a salesperson which is really valuable for me to see this, that there was this individual who was not your sort of classic, what you would picture as being a successful salesperson, just closing orders and so successful. And he was an All-American. And it convinced me, it, it actually proved to me that every day was an opportunity to, as long as I was disciplined, to make something happen with my sample kit. I could make money. And you know, he emphasized it was really about the dedication and the discipline, not about being silver-tongued in any way, which I certainly was not as a 19-year-old. I guess a short way of saying this is that the program worked. Right. The program worked. 
so it was incredibly valuable having somebody as an early mentor show me what true work ethic was. The guy got up every day, went to work, put in his time. And I made some really nice money that summer, that first summer, actually the most I, that I had ever had. And uh, the checks came from Alcoa. They came once a month. That was all I received them. Wow. Uh, so I had to, <laughs> had to wait. But uh, that was a great experience for sure. Dan, I'd also say, you're asking me, you know, what were some of the key experiences? You know, having complete control over my schedule for the first time, that was a key experience. A lot of freedom, a lot of independence. But, you know, you learned even back then that it was only as valuable, you know, as to the extent that you were willing to invest in the work, in the job. But that if I took that freedom seriously, you know, with no shortcuts, occasionally sacrificing a, a, a Saturday at the beach, for example, then the sky was the limit. And that was a great early experience to have. I really, I remember feeling that, that I was in control that way. And then I, I think I would add one other thing that stands out, and it would be difficult to overstate this, even though it doesn't apply directly to making sales. And it's that there was a tremendous social element to the early part of my experience being in, in the company. You know, a lot of what I remember is the camaraderie that I had with my office mates, you know, the other uh, members of the team, late, late, late nights at the local diner, you know, drinking coffee, you know, uh, planning and plotting about the next day or laughing about a particular experience we had or a customer that we may have encountered. You know, that may seem like a small thing, but I really think that that was critical to my, at least my early career arc. It's a business that is, you know, at its best when you're surrounded by teammates. Right. I, I sure. definitely had that experience. Indeed. How much was the homemaker when you started? <laughs> You're going to make me do this, aren't you? <laughs> the CTO is 223. 223. Has it changed? I haven't been paying attention. Yeah, yeah. There might be a one in front of that now for the CPO, I think, something like that. So <laughs> nice, nice. A thousand dollar day meant something, Dan. <laughs> still, it yeah. still does, but it was something back it then. It meant a lot more back then, for sure. Hey, yeah. How about uh, in getting into management? What were some of the transformational experiences for you as a leader in the company? Yeah, well, I got my first real taste as an assistant manager when I returned for my second summer. I had to do a lot of field training the way Brian Johnson did for me. I had the opportunity to learn how to recruit, you know, run group interviews, for example, how to run training classes. That was, that was all great dealing with groups. And then after graduating Vandy as a district manager, you know, I mentioned earlier self-discovery. There were really were a whole new set of discoveries that I think sort of characterized my experience. The key one was really the thrill of building your own team, you know, learning how to lead. That probably seems self-evident if you're in charge of an office, but man, when you're doing that for the first time, I mean, it's a very cool thing. It has an impact on you when you're, you have people following you and depending upon you. And I love that. I loved the impact that I could have on someone who had all kinds of potential, but maybe was raw and inexperienced. You know, as you know, Dan, we get people that come in at, you know, a very sort of formative stage of life. 
Mm-hmm. That's just the the way the company is set up, and it was during my district manager years where I really discovered how to bring out the best in people, uh, convince them that they were worthy, that they could they could achieve things, and uh, and 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 this would be all kinds of people, you know, all across the spectrum, every demographic. The one that sticks out for me is there was this guy that came in fresh out of high school from my second training class, who. You know, it was as raw as can be. Uh, he was 19. I was at the time only 22. So I can say now, you know, we really were both kids. And this guy ended up being my first assistant manager. And he went on to become uh, somebody who founded one of the most successful mortgage companies in America, CMG Mortgage. His name is Chris George. And his initials are on the building. Still a great friend of mine today. His son, of course, went on to sell Cutco. And, you know, he credits those very, very early days at that formative stage as being the springboard for what his success has become. So, I mean, I could go on and on, but the early days were chock full of those kinds of experiences. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's really cool to hear. I would love for you to tell the audience about Don Mulrath, because I know that he uh, is truly an instrumental figure in your life, your biggest mentor in the Cutco business. And I would just love to hear a little bit about the role he has played for you. Well, that's a big one. I appreciate you asking that question because you're right. Aside from my own father, there is no question but that he is the biggest influence and mentor in my life. So when I first came into the business, he was my division manager. Uh, and this was in, in Northern California. And I was just lucky in the sense that Don was somebody who could take the raw version of you, and we all have that as we begin in a career like this, but at the same time see the possibilities in you, almost as though it was a sculptor looking at a block of marble and being able to see the sculpture that is hiding within it just needs to be chipped out. That's what he was like for me. So, and it wasn't just that he could see the possibilities, but he was somebody that would help me realize that those possibilities were there. Those were two different things, mm-hmm. you know, and, and he, he did that. One of my favorite ways to describe him, and I've been asked this many times over the years, Dan, is he, to this very day, was always somebody that I looked forward to hearing from on the telephone, looked forward to meeting with. I was always eager, even in the most challenging of times, or maybe especially in the most challenging of times. He was always somebody that was there to support and uh, to get support from and to gather wisdom from. And, And he was just fantastic at building and protecting the culture of our team, our division team. I know many people in Vector have heard over the years this expression that there are only two things ever going on in your organization, what's exciting and what's going to be exciting. Well, that maxim is from him. And I know to some, it may that may sound a little bit corny, but in practice, those of us that have run offices know that it's it's quite profound in its meaning. So that was great. At the same time, he was somebody that was constantly challenging me 
to be better, to do more, to stretch, to be an example to people around the division, which, uh, and, you know, when, when he would ask that of me, uh, it was, I knew that it was time to respond. I just absorbed a ton watching him, Dan, absorbing the way he dealt with people. He lived by the credo of, you know, be interested, not interesting, which is something I think really has a lot of application when you're dealing with people and you're in, in leadership. I was certainly not near a finished product as a leader at that point, but to my everlasting gratitude, he saw something even back then. And that belief had a life-changing, monumental effect on me and my life. Yeah, I love what you said about uh, the two things happening in your organization, either what's exciting or what's going to be exciting. And, and for me, that was probably one of the first times that I began learning about what I nowadays would call the power of positive focus, which is that we always have to be looking for our opportunities and looking for what's good in our lives and where we can go from where we are now and the path to get there and learning to focus on what is good and what's going to be good. Uh, or what's going to be, be even better uh, is just a great way of looking at that. And and I remember learning that and hearing that from Don at a very young age. He was just this like larger than life personality and uh, it, it just so enthusiastic and uh, so many like cool things about him that, that I noticed. And it's awesome that you got that chance to work side by side with him. He was the greatest promoter I've ever met. It's pretty much in line with what you're saying, as enthusiastic as you could get. Yeah, yeah. Well, in the theme of being able to see people for what they can be, I know that Don played a key role in your path to advancement in the company and uh, would just love to give you some time to speak a little bit about how that unfolded and your time working you know, side by side with him in the region office. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Well, so he was instrumental in giving me two of the most important breaks of my career. The first was after years of being a district manager, this was in 1986, he had become by that time the Western region manager for Vector, and we are now Vector. We you know, are past the Alcoa days. And he selected me to be his sales promotion manager for the Western region, which had many of the same functions as people would recognize a sales promotion manager today. Uh, very important job. But in addition to that, I essentially had the good fortune of being his right-hand man, kind of the assistant region manager for a four-year period. So I got to work very directly with some of the great division managers of that era, uh, names that some people listening would recognize, Mark Caruza and Steve Weber, uh, your mentor, Filippo Mancini, had the opportunity and was given, Don encouraged me to make literally hundreds of office visits, sit through and evaluate initial training, advanced trainings, went to major conferences, helped him run those, watched Don work with these very high-level people, learn what it takes to run a big, strong region with a lot of different personalities. And I got to watch that essentially at his side every day for four years. And that organization, Dan, became kind of this bubbling cauldron of talent. Each year we grew by leaps and bounds. Uh, it was more or less quantum growth every year. A lot of young 
new executives join the team. I remember a kid fresh out of Sarah High School in 88, 89 that uh, joined our ranks back then. It wasn't Tom Brady or Barry Bonds. It was another kid. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, come, I'll come up with the name later. But uh, it was really a time rich in developing great talent. So that was wonderful. I had four years with Don. And then in 1990, the company restructured. We went to eight zones. The country was carved up into eight separate units. And I managed to receive the very last promotion of the eight. Uh, that was with the Northwest Zone. We were the smallest organization by country mile in the company. We, In our very first year, we did only $2.7 million, to give you an idea. Very humble beginning, but it was the beginning of what would become really one of the most satisfying stretches of my career. Yeah. So you took over an entire organization that did $2.7 million this year, which for context for anybody who is outside of Vector these days, I think we're going to have three or more offices in the company that will sell $2.7 million this year right now. And Drew Frank's record is $3.7 million for one single office. And so you took over the big, giant geographic region uh, that had sold $2.7 million in 1990. And by the end of your tenure in leading that organization, it had sold somewhere around $50 million as what then became the Western region. A little bit different lines, but a $50 million organization and was number one in the company uh, a decade later. And really turned into what was the juggernaut national championship organization for many years after you left. So what do you think were some of the keys to creating such an amazing and successful organization? I love thinking back upon those days, Dan. You are obviously there every step of the way. And so you, I'm sure you probably joined me in, in, in those being really great memories. There were a number of keys. There'd be probably too many to list, but the, the ones that really stand out for me that were, let's say, critical and irreplaceable, I would begin with this, that it, you have to begin by developing and putting in place really great division managers. You know, this, you have to have people in place who took pride in their sales results, not just their division results, but they really took a great deal of pride in their pilot office results. Dan, you were at the forefront of that when you eventually were promoted. And one of the, I think, hallmarks of that that organization, especially as the decade went on, is every single division manager that we had in place was a leader in every which way, including in their pilot. So that was big. I would also say that you know people like to talk about culture as being an important part of every organization. And I do believe that's true. And every organization has a different culture. I feel that, you know, given the fact that we were small at the beginning, we had to make sure that we stood for things that were attractive and were important so that we could, you know, become something a little bit more than the little engine that could. And so I think we did that. We, there was a, it took a, a few years, but I think we stood for, professionalism and class and and certainly having some fun. But I think the overarching theme would have been that we are going somewhere great. This is a small organization that is going to become something and make sure you get on board because we want you to be a part of it. 
And I think that occurs, those things can happen as long as you're consistent in their application. You don't slide back on on certain things that you consider to be important. So, you know, people have defined culture as the way we do things around here. And I think that for a period of years, we made sure that we were very consistent about the kind of environment that we wanted to build. It was super helpful to have examples, some, as we say in Vector, some human trophies, right, to facilitate this, Dan. So a good example, you know, you're, you're front and center on that. Your, your Silver Cup run as a branch manager in 1991, when you, you know, ended up winning that Silver Cup by $12, that was obviously an enormous thing in your world, as it should be. But that reverberated throughout our little Northwest zone. And it had an impact. It had an impact on that fall, the following summer, and it meant something. So we got a lot of wins that continue to build on each other. I would also add, you know, this is all under the banner of, of things that made that team great by the end of the decade. There was sort of the manifest destiny toward attracting ambitious, high quality district and branch managers. We were all about development. We wanted to staff fully staff every district territory, every branch territory that we had in the zone or the region. And that was made possible again by the division managers that we talked about earlier. My perception was, Dan, that each year the region slash zone became sort of a cooler and cooler place to be. It was a really neat organization to be a part of. You felt things were happening. You felt things were coming. Talent attracted more talent. Success begat more success. And, you know, you just expected each year to be better than the previous. The last thing I'll say on this, Dan, is that I learned during this decade in a very, very clear way is that just when you think the bar can't be set any higher, as long as you have the right people on the team that push each other, the bar can always go higher. You know, it reminds me of the, uh, for those that know their Olympic history, when, you know, Bob Beeman broke the all-time long jump record by two feet back in 1968. People said, well, there's a record that never will be broken. Sure enough, it eventually was broken. And that was, that typifies a lot of what happened in the Western region in the 90s. So we saw the first million-dollar office, which we thought, well, maybe that'll be a one-off situation. And of course, we know what happened after that. But I think of even smaller, though not no less important stories, of, of individuals that would do things that most of us thought would be impossible. There's a, a sales representative that I remember who was a, an immigrant from Uzbekistan. Her name was Marina Jamilova. She was up in Seattle, who spoke broken English, knew nobody, in the United States, and she, through just working the system and coming to every meeting and learning and, you know, stubbing her toe a little bit and, uh, you know, going through the learning process, ended up being one of the all-time great sales reps that we had in the organization, and she's gone on to become a very accomplished lawyer. And this was something that our business did for her, but it was new standards and people doing things that we just didn't think was possible. That sort of reminds me of what the 90s were like in the Western region. And it culminated with, I don't know if you can see behind me, but I have a picture that reminds me every day 
of what we accomplished, and that's that we won the Silver Cup in 1999 with a, just a, a really fantastic team. Well, it was fantastic to be a part of that climb during those years. And uh, as you said, there were certainly a lot of great leaders that we were able to attract and develop and have on the team. And, and obviously, you played a huge role in, in my growth and development throughout those years. So it was, a, it was a lot of fun. So how about after that? Since that time, you have been serving as a CEO of Vector Sales, co-CEO of Vector Sales. And it's a structure where you're the president of Vector West and Albert DiLeonardo is the president of Vector East. Um, tell us about what it's been like guiding the company throughout all those years and, and also working side by side with someone like Al. It really has been a lot of fun the last 17 years now. I would begin by saying that we have around us a tremendous team, region managers, your colleagues, division managers, sales support executives, and the expertise and commitment of that group of people has been paramount. Near as I can tell, the, the years of experience that these people have in the aggregate is completely unrivaled. I mean, most of the executives that we have in the company have been with us for 15 years, 20 years, 25 years, and longer, certainly longer. And, you know, you can imagine what that does in terms of guiding the, the business forward. So Albert and I have been extremely fortunate with the people that we have uh, sharing leadership with us. Secondly, you know, as I think about the early days of us working together, we had uh, really sort of interesting inflection points that I think made a difference in the company that you know today and that people know today. Early on, we engaged in an effort that we commonly called the our transparency era. And what I mean by that is the early days of Vector remind me a little bit of what I believe to be the early days of a company like Amazon. You know, there's an old picture that I've seen of Jeff Bezos, who, you know, had just uh, started Amazon and he's sitting in what looks like a spare bedroom with a tiny little wooden desk and one computer terminal. And he looks a, a stack of papers and books on the ground and he's all by his lonesome. And it was, you know, the very, very early days of Amazon. And in those early days, if you listen to him describe it, you know, it was a lot of putting together programs and, and it was not the Amazon that we know today. Vector is a little bit like that in that we had a, sometimes a colorful and sometimes even an unconventional uh, type of beginning to the way we, this business was founded. In some ways, I would say it was unfinished. And Albert and I decided that it was important in the early 2000s that we wanted to make sure that we had the strongest possible foundation down. We wanted to make sure that we would be, as a company, open to examination, open to scrutiny from anybody that would, would care to take a look inside our company. And so we did exactly that. And when I say we, it was all of us in upper management. You'll remember those days. Mm -hmm. And so as much as we loved the colorful early days of the business and, you know, our, our heart was in the right place as the business grew at such rapid pace, we needed to be even better. And we became that. And so, we built things to last, I like to think. Uh, language in our advertising, uh, all the comprehensive information that we give out in an in interview setting to our newly accepted reps, 
the way we operate on co our college campuses, and so on. Years later, you could even include the introduction of the free loaner sample kit, where there's no investment whatsoever. These are all things that really set the table for another wave of growth into the future. So that was an early part of what I would say characterized our time as, as CEOs. Another big piece of what has happened, Dan, over the past several years as we've been president and CEO is the emergence, dramatic emergence of the modern day sales rep opportunity, which has changed the business forever. I'm talking specifically about our our Cutco sales professional community, our CSPs, and our field sales managers. This has made the business something that I don't think anyone from the early days would have been able to guess that it could become this big. You know, when I think about legends, heavyweights that we have in the business selling Cutco cutlery that have made it a, a full-time career. I'm thinking of the, the, the Brandon Browns and the Curtis JQs of the world. Uh, Deanna Scortino, who I just uh, had lunch with uh, a few weeks back. You know, the, the Josh Mullers and the Mike Dawoods and the John Rulins. And this is something that our great friend and colleague, Brad Britton, had an awful lot to do with. For the past 20 years, we've seen a surge in our personal sales opportunity. It's almost like, if I were to compare it, Dan, it's almost like going from a standard telescope to suddenly having the Hubble telescope in your possession and being able to see the new possibilities that are out there. That's what our personal sales opportunity is like today. That's been a major difference uh, in the last uh, several years. If I were to take a, a moment to talk about you know, things from a management perspective, the last several years since uh, Albert and I have been co-CEOs, it's been a time of leaders within the company being innovative, pushing things even uh, more forward, getting stronger results. There have been many, many enhancements that have been created over the course of the last several years to what was already a lucrative program to make it even better. This has been an effort that's been fully supported by our ownership team led by the Stitt family, and it includes decisions that we've made such as open e-commerce, uh, providing uh, PACE bonuses for our district and division managers, uh, the uh, ever-popular BMW program for our management team. And these things, these decisions are often expensive, so to speak, in terms of the company making decisions that we should go in this direction. But we have gone in that direction without looking back. It's been the right thing for this business. It's been the right thing for our people. And we know that when we do that, it will be a catalyst for even more growth. And that is exactly what we've seen. Corporately, last year, we had our best year ever. This year, 2019, we are going to top last year's total. So it's been great. It's been 17 years of a lot of exciting challenges, but it's been exciting and rewarding. And from my perspective, it's been really fun to be a part of it and, and to be able to watch how you and Al have guided the organization and, uh, and all of the opportunities that have been created for people in the field, including myself. Can you speak more about uh, working directly with Al and just uh, what, what uh, you feel like uh, has been the synergy between the two of you? 
Oh yes, for sure. Well, of course, seventeen years together. I mean, it, it's uh, it's been compared to a marriage before, but it's it's interesting, Dan. Over the years, I've had people from time to time question the corporate structure uh, and wonder whether they've made the comment that well, this is unusual. Uh, the first thing I say to them is that we actually inherited this structure that uh, from. Um, Mike Lancelot and Dom Ureth, they actually, for a t- period of time, had uh, were, were co-presidents. But I, I will tell you this, that if people had an inside look, they would realize how very positive the partnership has been. You know, it's, it's really fascinating. We've had different experiences over the years. You know, he was raised on the East Coast with uh, Cutco. I was raised on the West Coast. And those different experiences can mean from time to time, different perspectives. But I think, and I think he would tell you this, that that's really healthy. The key is, the key question is whether you can collaborate and make good decisions together with, you know, with these sort of vast experiences that you've had. And I really feel that we've managed to do that. What's more important when you partner with somebody is not really where you came from, but what you share in common. And what we certainly share in common is a, a love for this company, uh, an appreciation for its future. And and he's a blast to work with. I mean, he's very smart, makes it fun. So I think the partnership has been outstanding. And frankly, if I may, it shows up in the numbers. It's been good. Fantastic. What, what about uh, your own core philosophies as a leader, Bruce? Can you share with us Anything that comes up when I ask about that? You know, a lot of things come up when you ask that question, and it's challenging to distill them into just a few that fit into the podcast. But I, I would say that first and foremost, Dan, that I feel in our business that relationships are destiny. I would put it as simply as that. Relationships are destiny. And if you think about it, it applies at almost every level of the business, even if you're a brand new rep. You know, it begins with your customers, right? And the ability to be able to relate with them, perhaps people in your office. It includes the two of us, Dan, 30 years later, since we've known each other, right? We've had this relationship. You know, in Vector, we often talk about the core values of people, products, and programs. And all three of those matter. But I've learned that the real magic lies within the people part of that equation. And the bonds built on on trust that you have with each other, shared experiences, mutual respect, and community. Our enduring strength, Dan, a vector is fueled by relationships. It's why those in leadership positions like you and me, they have to be filled by men and women of character. I recently heard a radio interview with a retired military person who was very highly decorated, and this person was talking about the relationship between character and leadership. And he described leadership, just broadly speaking, is how we influence others, right? It's a big door, as he described it. But those big doors of leadership swing on very small hinges of character, and that when we demonstrate a lack of character, the effects are very, very significant, right? So those hinges have to be well-oiled and shiny and bolted on tight. And that's true in any 
large company, any company at all for that matter, but especially in an industry that is sometimes misunderstood. And in that sense, Dan, I believe that the bar is higher for us. We have to accept that that very truth and live in that truth and carry ourselves in a way that will keep people here for the long term by the way we operate. I think it's been described before by somebody as leading people in such a way that if somebody spoke badly about you, nobody would believe it if you can handle your business that way. So mm. we do things the vector way, as we like to call it, which is to say we do right by people. And I believe that's why we have so many leaders that have been here for all those years that I described earlier is that they know that as a company, we can be counted on. That would be my first clear philosophy for sure is that uh, relationships are destiny. Secondly, Dan, I would say that I have a bedrock of philosophy of let leaders lead is the most succinct way I could put it. I don't believe that our particular business model is optimized if it's run like a kingdom where somebody at the very top says the way things are going to go or the way programs are going to be designed. To me, the magic is in the field. And, you know, the enduring strength that we have as a company comes from empowering people like you and our division managers, certainly giving our field leaders the freedom to build their empire with their own brand of creativity, their own leadership style. Similarly, at the in terms of our CSP and our FSM community, you know, giving those individuals the best tools, the best support to build their business in a way that fits their life, their lifestyle, and their individual ambitions in any way that we can. So when you do that, sometimes there's a, a learning curve that goes with that, right? Especially as you empower people that are maybe undertaking a job for the first time. My experience has been, though, that People very quickly uh, become more confident, they uh, create their own identity, and they are far happier at what it means to run the business. Yeah, I, I, can, I can jump in here, Bruce, and just say that that's how I always have felt in working directly with you, is there was a sense of real empowerment to be able to run my piece of the organization in the manner that I felt it needed to to be run and to take it in the direction that I wanted to take it. So it was a, it was really truly a reflection of me and, and my leadership and my own philosophies. And, and that empowerment that you provided for people like me, for people like Brad Britton, for people like Mark Lovis and so many others, that empowerment that you provided for us is what I think has truly helped us to grow into the leaders that we, that we are, you know, we're capable of becoming. So I think that was a really powerful, uh, powerful idea. Thank you. And of course, you, you know, that's music to my ears. And what really makes me happy is watching you do the very same thing with your team. I get to see that today. It's uh, very rewarding. If I can share a, a, a couple more, Dan, just to capture what I think would be my primary core philosophies. I would also say that we, we always need to be asking the two word question. What's next? What's next? It's, it's what so many of the people who've appeared on your podcasts have said in so many different ways. 
since you began this initiative. You know, my original district manager, Tom Young, used to say, you know, if you don't know where you're going, you're probably already there. He would repeat that often. And we have to always be asking and wondering and wrestling with, even demanding of ourselves, how are we going to grow? We have to do that when we run our offices. We have to do that as an individual, as a CSP. And we certainly have to do that as CEOs of the company. How are we going to grow? Whether you're coming off a great year or not, growth is imperative. And it's not just to be successful financially. That's not the only reason you do it. But almost as a true north for keeping the company vibrant, you know, maintaining as my old mentor, Mr. Murath, would say, maintaining the opportunity edge. You have to always be asking, what's next? And guys like you, Dan, you know, we're, we're constantly raising the bar from the very, very beginning. And, and today, it's a, a new generation of managers that you know, are, are running $3 million operations. There's always bigger things that can be done. You know, engaging in possibility thinking is rocket fuel, mm-hmm. basically, for this company. And we breed that type of person, I believe, in Vector that chases what's next. I'm, I'm really pleased, grateful that we have sort of this unbroken history of people, including so many of our alumni that may be listening right now, who have lived by that philosophy. And maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll wrap up with this one because it's important to me, Dan, and, and it would be this, that where you are is not who you will be. I have learned this over and over and over again in this company. Where you are is not who you will be. Just because you might be struggling doesn't mean that you're failing. And I've observed personally that every great success requires some kind of struggle. If it were easy, everybody would be doing that, doing it. We all know this. But We all have to fight through, every one of us, we all have to fight through challenging times, keep pushing forward. And, you know, if being an entrepreneur were easy, uh, then, you know, recruiting would be a a snap. So what I would say is that so many people, even the current legends, every one of them, uh, or most anyway, had humble beginnings and they hit their stride later and flourished later in their career. So I think that's important to note in a company, in a business such as ours. I'm going to toss in one more just for good measure as I thought about this. This is familiar to everybody that's been in Vector, but there's a reason that this exists. And it's that if you help people get what they want, you can get what you want. That is as tried and true as anything that we've ever had in Vector. But the idea of paying it forward by helping everyone else out there, sooner or later, you know, the universe tends to pay it back to you tenfold. And that's what we tend to do in Vector. We are about servant leadership when we are at our best. And if we do that, we make for very happy lives and we make for a very satisfying career. Outstanding. That was some really great stuff right there, Bruce. I appreciate hearing those philosophies. What do you think, if you look into the future, excites you the most about the next uh, five, 10 years? Well, I'm super excited about where we're going, Dan. I, I think I would start off by saying that and this is a riff off of something I mentioned earlier on the podcast, is that the people we have right now are of the caliber to take us anywhere that we want to go. So the most important people are on the bus, and that's a a very 
empowering feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond that, I'm excited because the underpinnings of our business are pretty timeless, right? If you think about it, we have this high quality product with enormous brand loyalty and consumer confidence. We have that. We have this student work experience, largely a student work experience that's valuable beyond measure. And that will never change the need for having people with our kind of background. We have this entrepreneurial path, both in management and as a sales professional, which provides freedom and independence with absolutely no cap on your income, where you know you can you can flourish with advancement. That's in place. We have this talked about it many times. We have this unique culture that exists within Vector right now, which has been honed over the decades and would be very, very difficult, if not impossible, to replicate by anybody else. We have that going for us. We have the aforementioned rock-solid seasoned executive team. We have an ownership team that's all in, totally committed to its people, locally owned, who is completely into the long-term growth of this company over short-term profits, which is big. And we can do that because we're a private company, as people know. And we have a whole bunch of really fertile, great field minds out there searching for new ways to grow, as they've already helped us grow to this point. So you add all that together, combined with you know the fact that you have a company whose heart is all about bringing out the best in people. And I think we are beautifully positioned for the next three years, five years, 10 years, just to provide great opportunities for people in a lot of different areas. In line with the theme of your podcast, Dan, you know, making an impact on the world by changing lives through this. That really is, you know, sort of the top shelf headline. And, you know, when we're at our best, which I expect us to be, we'll continue to write a pretty amazing American story over now 70 years. And, you know, it's a story that has produced uncommon results, some really good deeds. It's done some really important work. And I expect that it'll go for another 70 and beyond. So to me, the business and the future is as bright as you could want it to be. Here, here. Well, I'm, I'm happy to be a part of it uh, and uh, happy to be on this journey with you, Bruce. Is there anything else that you would like to say to the audience of uh, Cutco Reps Managers, alumni uh, who may be listening that, uh, that you want to add? Well, first and foremost, I would say thank you to everybody, our alumni, for being a part of what this company is today. And you're still part of the Vector family. And I just love the fact that you're still interested and look forward to seeing everybody at, uh, at future events. I would want the current Vector team to know that I'm hungry. I'm really hungry for the future and, and future strides that we're going to make and, and future growth, growth that we're going to achieve together. We have a lot to accomplish over the next several years. And we're still on this journey to create what was unveiled years ago as being you know, the most exciting and rewarding business in North America, one that was built to last, one that is built so the individual prospers, and one that's built so that life outside the business is as exciting as life inside the business. That's what we are doing right now, and we can make that even better. 
I want people to know this, that uh, I consider being entrusted with this position that I'm in, uh, being CEO and president. This has been the privilege of my professional life. And this podcast, Dan, is an opportunity to say just that. I feel a very deep responsibility to keep things moving and growing and making this a place where people have even greater possibilities to achieve their own dreams for many, many years to come. And I take that very, very seriously. So I'm excited about who we are, but I'm even more excited about who we are about to become. Outstanding. Awesome. Well, Bruce, I tee this off by saying that uh, you know you are my number one lifetime role model. And uh, just want to reiterate that, that uh, you have always been somebody that not just myself, I know I can speak for many others, have aspired to want to be like, have aspired to want to make proud because of the person who you are and all of the characteristics and qualities that you bring to the table. Uh, It's been something that has been motivating to me. It's been something that has been energizing to me. And I just have always seen you as the kind of person I wanted to be able to to be like, the kind of leader that I wanted to be able to be like. And I just really appreciate having had your leadership and your guidance in my life for these 31 years. It's been awesome. And uh, and I'm thankful for you sharing your insights with uh, our audience here on the podcast today. Dan, you know how much those words mean to me. So thank you very much. And this has been this has been a blast. And congratulations again on the success of this program. It's uh, it's been extraordinary to see the reaction to it. So thank you very much. All right. See you soon. All right, buddy. See you. Bruce. Yes, that is how we affectionately know him here at Vector Events. Loved hearing. Bruce talk about the accelerated self-discovery that came from getting started with Cutco. And so many of us can relate to that feeling when we first started and learned a lot of things about ourselves and the importance of having someone to be a key mentor in our lives. And for Bruce, that was Don Muehlrath, someone who can take the raw version of you and see what's possible. And Bruce was fortunate to have that person. I was fortunate to have Bruce as that person. And for those of us listening to the podcast, I just think it's such a great challenge to think about all of the people that we are influencing and how can we be that leader in the lives of so many other people. I loved Bruce's core philosophy that relationships are destiny and the importance of those one-on-one relationships that we build one at a time, influencing so many other people. And Bruce also talked about the growth of the Western region and he used the words, what we stood for being one of those keys. And as somebody who was a part of it, I know that we stood for excellence in everything we did. We stood for enjoying the process and we stood for doing things right. We stood for character, those hinges of character that Bruce so eloquently described during this conversation. Everyone, as this podcast is being released, it is either right before or right after Bruce Goodman's 60th birthday on November 9th. And I just want to say cheers to you, sir, Mr. Goodman, for all you have brought to me and for all you have brought to so many others. 
happy 60th birthday. And here's to many, many more amazing years ahead. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. And if you want access to today's show notes, including links to any resources mentioned, visit changinglivespodcast.com. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. I'll catch you back here in a few days for our next story about changing lives.